When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. J.P., how are you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. Okay, so we had a little different premise for this. Yeah. So every year we do a rivalry, yes. which is a horrible word to say, but whatever. Rivalry where week. We have two episodes that one loves and one hates, and we battle it out. And I thought, let's do a positive battle because, I'll give you a little backstory, we have Glenn Phillips of Toad the Wet Sprocket coming on. So we show up before the interview, and we're writing down questions, and I think I'm 100% sure that we're talking about All I Want from the Fear album. And so all my mindset is based around that because I'm like, that is definitely the best Toad stuff. (laughs) And Rob is like, no, we're doing Dulcinea album. I'm like, what? And this is like right before we key it. So I was like, let's debate which album is better. Yeah. Like Fear versus Dulcinea. Yeah. So we're going through. Anyway, long story short, I'll tell you how we get there. But versus doing that, I'm like, man, Dulcinea is really good. (laughs) So I was listening through, like, I'm going to destroy Rob on this. Like, this is no-brainer. It's got the hit. But we'll talk about it more as we go through. Long story short, this is going to be all things Toad and all things Glenn Phillips. That's right. So uh, This is going to be our first ever, we're going to call it an artist spotlight episode because there was just too much good stuff to restrict it. Yeah. Um, So we're just going to kind of talk all things Toad the Wet Sprocket. And we've got a great interview with Glenn, so yeah. please stick around to the end. Super cool guy. You guys are going to love it. So. Yeah. Uh, so we we got to kick it off with a little music. So why don't we why don't we start it? We'll give it to the Fear album. There we go. The, 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 we tossed a coin, <laughs> and it landed on Fear. So uh, <laughs> this is All I Want by Toad the Wet Sprocket. That's all it is. It's just drums. <laughs> just going to hear it. <laughs> Brilliant. Just a sixth grade drum pattern. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Gus. You said neither am I. Chorus turns around. Okay. Oh, magic. What's the this is a question that I didn't even think about until I was just listening through. It's not even on my notes. What's the melody of the chorus? Okay. It's almost indistinguishable. It, it's like because the harmony the all I want. Right. Or is it the here's okay, so if if I had to gun to my head make a call, yeah, uh, and I don't know where you stand on this, but 
the next line clues me in about where I think the melody would be. Okay. So, because we the next line is, anyway. all I want is to feel this, this way, to be this close. Which right? means it's, it's in that same register. Yep. And the harmony is, all I want. Yeah. Same. But it's it's so, uh, it's... The levels yeah. are right there together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and it, it almost just acts as one thing. Mm-hmm. It almost is a just a a dual melody mm-hmm. that it's it has to be that way and i think that's why they mixed it that way you know what i mean they i think that's intentional yeah but it's like uh but if in other words if i was just playing the song on an on an acoustic it's guitar you by yourself i wouldn't the high go part. all i mm-hmm. want is to feel this way yeah. to be this close yeah i would exactly do the higher note yeah. i agree i think that's right. yeah yeah if it's you in a coffee shop by yourself i'm sure we should probably watch i guess yeah, glenn, glenn do it acoustic yeah, but it live, yeah, yeah. Uh, he actually, there was a tour that they did. Uh, I can't remember what tour it was, but he opened for them. He like so that's like, hilarious. It was a Toe the Wet Sprocket tour with, Glenn featuring Phillips. Glenn Phillips as the that's opener. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So uh, what what can you say about Toe the Wet Sprocket? I feel like uh, in doing in doing some research on on my favorite album of theirs, which is Dulcinea, um, I I was disappointed to learn that it that it is not necessarily. To everyone, the iconic album that I hold it to be. Which is why I was like, I'll destroy him on this. This is not even a game. So just to let y'all know, Fear has All I Want, which we just played. uh It also has Walk Walk on on the the Ocean. ocean. So go ahead and play a little of that. Walk on the ocean. So yeah, it's got it 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 has Fear has their two biggest hits. So um Fear came out in 1991 um and it had All I Want which went to number 15 on the on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 14 on the uh, Adult Contemporary chart and Walk on the Ocean which went to number 18. Both top 20 hits uh, and went to number 10 on the top 40 mainstream chart. And these are the two their two biggest uh, charting hits. Two of my other favorite Toad songs are on this album too. Nightingale song. It's like two minutes and three seconds. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and then pray, for, pray your gods is awesome too. It's creepy sounding, but I really like it. <laughs> um, so anyway, great album. Yeah. Just- and so I, I, you know, I was just doing research because Dulcinea, I, I'm telling you, is one of my top ten, maybe top five favorite albums of all time. Um, and I've listened to it, I mean, more times than – it's one of those albums that I've listened to so much that listening to it is a different experience than just listening to an album. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, um, it, it's like your favorite um, shirt from college. I get that. That you yeah. still have. Oh, dude, my – yeah, I have mine. Every time I put it on, it's going to be perfect. Yeah. And we talked – me and Rob joked before we started this, like, it's perfect neck height. The sleeve length is perfect. It's yeah. Super comfortable. Like my water pickle shirt is going to dominate. <laughs> it's going to be a good day. Like I can't say I've had a bad day when I've worn that water pickle shirt. What a pickle! It's the Vlasic guy. It's awesome. That's hilarious. It's definitely the best shirt maybe ever made. Man, this is the. Uh, by the way, this is uh, the benefit of not having massive weight fluctuations in your life. <laughs> is that you can still have, or just and you buy stuff too big too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. It's, but uh, th- you know, Dulcinea for me is the what a pickle shirt. That's good. It, yeah. I know every crack and crevice uh-huh. of that album. It's awesome. And 
It's one of those that like I'll I'll play through the whole thing and not sing the melody once. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That I'll gets just great. put it on the car and I'm just singing weird harmonies uh-huh. the whole time. Singing guitar so, lines. Yeah, so familiar with it that it just is a different experience to me than even just listening to an album. And I'll give a point for for Rob on that album. Like I'm like this isn't even going to be a game. Like how like if we did Fear versus Volsana it's like I'm going to run away with this. <laughs> so I put on I start the album and freaking Fly from Heaven Man. comes on and I'm like Ah, this is their best song. Like, this is their best song. Play a little Fly From Heaven. Oh, talk please. a little bit about the perspective of who it's written from. Yeah. And oh my God. Okay. And so the video. It's, anyway, go ahead. This is, uh, I immediately get a dopamine hit when this, when this acoustic this, guitar oh, starts. These this, guitar, is, this guitar sounds great. Yeah, this is Fly From Heaven, the first track on Dulcinea. That sounds so good. Paul is making me nervous. Paul is making me scared. It's just an E chord. How is that so? Those tones. Changing them, my brother. Anyway, that's the, the first track on oh, Dulcinea. I love that song. Play a little. Keep it going. Stop. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. Right. Bring it back in. Get okay. through the chorus. But he never even knew the man. Get through the chorus. Yes. That is his. The very first words are is vocal perfection. Just the way he sings, the Paul's making me. It's so good. That's such a cool song too. That's like so. They have a lot of songs that, and you you guys will discover quickly in our interview with Glenn that he is a smart guy who listens to smart things and Mm -hmm. reads smart things and writes smart things. Sure, and we're like, good, 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 good. (laughs) And he still finds a way to communicate well with us. I mean, really, we tried not to betray this in in the interview, but like, we're asking him like who he's listening to, and he's naming off people that we have never, (laughs) ever heard of, just that we have no clue what he's talking about, but we're like, yeah, of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Dom McSchnickens on this, we're like, yeah, one of my favorites. Oh, McSchnickens. Yeah, that man, that classic uh, McSchnickens McNerfin duet. Oh gosh! Um, But uh, and so this is one of those things. And we pride ourselves on being pretty musically sound. We're not. I mean, we're not idiots. Yeah, we do a music podcast. That's right. I know liner notes from most things. Yes. And then he's saying stuff that me and Rob are looking across the table like, who in the world? This guy's brilliant. Yeah. And so, or he may just be making up people. It's true. But he sells it so well. Yeah. Like, he's it, believable. But he's just casually like, yeah, you know, I was reading The Art of War and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Whatever, right? And so, like, this album is a perfect example, actually. And we'll get back to Fly From Heaven. But yeah. the, the Dulcinea album is uh, Dulcinea is uh, a reference to a love interest in 
the, the novel Don Quixote, mm-hmm. which is uh, often considered to be the first modern novel and one of the greatest works of fiction ever written, uh, or greatest works, period, ever written. Um, and uh, it, it's about a man who reads so many like uh, romantic chivalry stories that he sort of goes insane, loses his mind, and becomes uh, decides to become a character from one of these books. And so it's about... Um, well, there are different interpretations of what it's, you know, commentary on say, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's one of the most legendary, you know, books of all. So there, this is a, the, the album title is a reference to Don Quixote, which tells you immediately Glenn is a deep dude. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's going there. And there's a couple songs in here that deal with uh, themes from it. And we'll, we'll get there too. Like ours would be called like belly buttons and pocket lamp. <clears throat> yeah. And his is like. From a Don Quixote. Yeah, exactly. My like, okay, so I've got a new EP coming out. I've hey. got a blues EP coming out, um, and it's called Also Ran Blues Man. Yeah, and that's that's about it for me. That's about as deep <laughs> as I get. That's about as clever as I get. You know, um, but um, so anyway, so Fly from I mean, Heaven. It's about Rise Volume Two. Yeah, there. true. Yeah. Um, so um, you threw me off with that one. <laughs> threw me off with that. Sorry, so right. the the first album I ever made on my own at, at seventeen eighteen was called Rise Volume One. And it's wonderful. I wrote most of it in Japan, and it was I had a very clever album cover that was like a horizon with a red uh, sun, like the red Japanese flag. It was super clever. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but if you have that album out there, send me a copy. I don't have I it have anymore. It. So. Upstairs, I'll get it. <laughs> uh, anyway, but okay. So Fly from Heaven is another perfect example of Glenn Phillips being a smart dude, right? Who thinks a lot. Uh, That's the yeah. thing. It's like he just thinks, uh-huh. um, which is something we're not familiar with. <laughs> You know, but uh, we didn't even know what song we were talking about when we yeah, go to interview. Yeah, like, exactly. No, no, we, just, yeah. we did prep just different. Um, but yeah, "Fly from Heaven" is is a genius uh, um, look into. It's written from the perspective of James, the brother of Jesus, and um, and that was a thing that like. You know, most of these songs. So the Paul reference would be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who, if you if you if you know, um, you know, if you're a biblically literate, you'll know Paul was originally Saul, and he was a persecutor of the early um, Christian movement, and he was a persecutor of the early church um, because he was um, a uh, what do you call it? A Philistine? Not a Philistine. A um, uh, help me. Come on, the religious leaders, the 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 uh, Pharisee. Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, was like a Philistine. He's not Goliath. Yeah, no, he was a, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. This is my, and, me and Rob being the smart people. We're like, yeah. yeah, and then and then Jesus took his stone and hit him in the head and cut off his head. That's, yeah, that's David. Uh, and so anyway, Paul was was a persecutor of. Uh, followers of Jesus and has this radical transformation uh, and becomes, you know, maybe one of the most devout and and prolific um, on the road to Emmaus. Yes, it has this, yeah. Anyway, um, and so um, he no the road to Damascus. Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> we do good Bible. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Road to Emmaus is the guys that said, "Did uh, did our hearts not burn within us?" This right. after Jesus resurrected. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, my mom's gonna kill me. <laughs> um, anyway, so Paul has this radical conversion <laughs> and becomes this outspoken uh, uh, church leader mm-hmm. and one of the early, you know, church fathers. And um, but so this is written from the perspective of James, who is Jesus's brother, going. I'm not sure I trust this guy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, and I'm not sure that what you're saying about him is all true or is all trustworthy or whatever. And why should I even believe you? You know what I mean? Like it's just sort of this thing that, that and and that's I didn't know for 
I don't know, 15 years what this song was about. And then one day I just went, oh, I guess I could just look this stuff up now on the internet, you know. <laughs> on the World Wide Web. When this, when this came out, I didn't have that. And when I first got obsessed with this album, I didn't have that. And so I was just trying to guess. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it feels sort of vaguely Christian, but I don't get it. There's lots you of Pauls out there. Yeah, there's plenty of Pauls out there. And so, but, uh, and so, but then I, I look it up. And once you see James, Brother of Jesus, it unlocks everything. It's the piece that goes... Of course. And so it makes the whole thing, you know, Paul's making me nervous, walks into this room and swaggers like he's God's own messenger. You know, all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe this guy who weeks ago, you know, was helping people murder Christians. Yeah. And um, and so it's a really, uh, you know, just a cool, just a cool uh, take on that. So anyway, I think that's their best song. And it wasn't even that. So that that's what made me be like, I can't debate this. Right. Like we can't do a rivalry because Rob's got good points. He'll get a point there. And then not to jump around. Uh, to quote House of Pain, but <laughs> Fall Down is so good. Oh, man, yes. Uh, and this was one of the singles off Dulcinea. This is actually track nine, really yeah. low down for a single. Uh, but let's take a listen. It's got that great energy. And this is one of the – it's a sort of a quintessential 90s video. Yeah. The video looks so yeah, 90s. And this kind of turned me over to the Dulcinea camp with okay. like – I was like, one, I can fight because yeah. I have three in my back pocket. Right. Two, ah, this is so tough. <laughs> Let's take a look. This is Fall Down off Dulcinea. Road to Emmaus. <laughs> I love his voice. I just love it. a good clean ride symbol. I'm going to skip to my favorite part of this song, which is when they break it down. You get these distorted background vocals swelling in. That's dope. That's, That's dope. Snare sounds good. Uh, again, I have no idea what that song is about, but uh, you know, I, it doesn't matter. It feels so right. It's it just everything about it just feels so so perfect. And I, t- I said like when we were listening to it, like man, I love that guy's voice, and it's because I feel like I could do it. Like mm. I feel like I could sing like Glenville, but I can't. You know, it's like <laughs> I could, I could do that. It's he's he's wonderful. Yeah, it's not. It's you know, he's not Sebastian Bach. Correct. You know, yeah. uh, it's not like a. It's not he's a not rock Mariah star. Carey yeah, it's either. not a rock like, star voice. Yeah. It's like a. It's just a. He's a dude, man. He's, yeah. You know, he's just like writing these cool songs, and he's got this cool band, and he, and he's an unassuming guy. I mean, you can tell when we're when we talk to him, like you know, he's just he is kind of you know who he is, and I think it, it comes across um, in his in his vocal delivery. You know, I think it's it's awesome. Dulcinea also included. Uh, they they had two more hits off this album. They were not. They didn't chart as high. As uh, the songs off of um, off of fear, uh, but um, let's see, where's it at? So, okay, this one came out in '94. This was the follow up to fear, and the album itself charted higher than fear did. Fear charted at number forty nine on the top two hundred albums. 
Dawson Day charted at number 34 on the uh, top 200 albums. And it had two more hits. It had Fall Down, which went number one on the Modern Rocks track chart, but number 33 on the Hot 100. Um, so it's kind of a greater than, less than mm-hmm. in some in some ways, where uh, All I Want was number 15, Hot 100, number 14 on AC. This went number one Modern Rock track chart. And, uh, and then Something's Always Wrong, which went number 41 on the Hot 100, number nine on the Modern Rock chart, and number 14 on the Top 40 Mainstream. So, like... Still, two two big hits off of this. Um, might as well play a little bit of "Something's Always Wrong." If you if you remember this, check it out. This is "Something's Always Wrong." so much um so that's that was the other hit off this one um and uh but but the this album was not i expected it to be i expected the coverage of this album to be like this is one of the greatest it was massive for you achievements yeah it was so massive for me um and of course it 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 was a big hit don't get me wrong i don't want to discount you know what i mean obviously this is a, a hit album but it does seem like for most people that maybe the the um, hits off of fear are more remembered than yeah. these. That all I want, walk on the ocean, feels like you're probably more likely to hear those on the radio now than uh, than something's always wrong or um, fall down. Absolutely. So, uh, and maybe it's because they transition a little more to a broader audience. They're a little more acoustic driven. They're a little, you know, a, a little, little more less- AC. A little more AC, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Dulcinea. Adult contemporary for you guys. That's yes. Not air conditioning. <laughs> Dulcinea had a little bit harder edge to it. Not much, but it was more maybe electric driven mm-hmm. in spots than I think the Fear album yeah. was. Um, but for me, Dulcinea is the album where, and I think Glenn has said Dulcinea was the album where they were starting to know, really know what they were doing. Before they started overthinking things, you know, and I think the time by the time the Coil album comes up after Dulcinea in '97, I think it was, I think they were starting to starting to struggle with that, like you know, starting to come apart at the seams a little bit with some things. But um, Dulcinea to me is Toad the Wet Sprocket at the height of their powers. Um, the everything, every single melody, every single lyric, every single piece of production is just spot on. Uh, in a in a way that few albums have ever struck me, and I'm sure there's people out me like me out there that just know the hit that were not just, but that you know were more familiar with the hits off of Fear. Yeah. So I'll challenge you go back and listen through uh, Dulcinea, and maybe you'll come on board with me and, and love it all equally. Yeah, there's some great <laughs> stuff. Even the stuff that is like um, there's a, there's a song in there that's kind of a country thing called Nancy, and I just love it. I don't know, it's really simple. And I, I just love oh, it's it. Part of it. There's a song called "Stupid" that's just fantastic, uh, and it's just great, man. And do, you, do you want to meet the guys that played on it? Yes, please. Let's do it. Let's meet the band real quick. Hey. Let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. 
Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. All right, guys, we know this is going to be a lengthier episode um, as we've yeah, got we've, a really good interview at the end that you're going to hang yeah. around. So I'm going to go kind of fast through the Meet the Band section, um, basically just listen to them, and then we're going to do a quick stunt the genius game. Um, so I'm going to tell you who all played on – actually played on both albums um, other than there's an additional vocal spoken word part by Laurel Franklin. But other than that, um, it's all the same on both albums. we got on lead vocals, guitars, and mandolin, uh, Glenn Phillips, who we're yeah. going to be hanging out with here and we've talked a lot about. On guitars, also some more mandolin, Todd Nichols. On bass and the keyboard parts are all done by Dean Denning. And on drums and percussion, Randy Gus. So there's your quick version of Meet the Band. Didn't yeah. go super deep on the band, but a good crew. There we go. Good squad. Um, so anyway, I was going to tie this in kind of to a cover. There's a cover of All I Want by a band called Emery. I don't know okay. if you know who Emery is. They uh, Punk Goes 90s came okay. out. So yeah. it's one of my – I love that album. Emory is the perfect band to cover this because Emory is a sad band. <laughs> and this is kind of a sad song done in a good feel. Okay. So their version is figured, fe- figured, featured in Doogie Hauser and Dawson's Creek. Wow. Um, like one of each of the versions. So okay. like, um, so Toad's is, and then the Emory version is featured in the- Okay. So I was thinking, on this Stump the Genius, I was going to do... Is this line from Doogie Howser or is it from Dawson's Creek? <laughs> oh, man. And that was way too easy because all the Dawson's Creek lines were like love, kissing, holding hands. And all the Doogie Howser lines were like doctor, blah, 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 <laughs> <Sure>. blah. <laughs> so I'm going to go, is this Neil Patrick Harris or James Vanderbeek? Okay. So Neil Patrick Harris is Doogie Howser. James Vanderbeek is Dawson from Dawson's Creek. So I'm just okay. going to give you six random facts, <laughs> and you're going to say Neil Patrick Harris okay. or James Vanderbeek. Okay. So okay. play the jingle, and let's play the game. All right. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. I got to say going in, I know little to nothing about either one of these gentlemen. So this is going to be wonderful. Okay. Do you know who they are, though? Yeah, like, yeah, You can visualize who sure. Neil Patrick Harris and who yeah, yeah, James yeah. Vanderbeek is. Okay. We'll be in the next Matrix, set to release in 2022. Which one of these guys is going to be in the next Matrix? Whoa. If I had to guess, just based on his, I, I know his nerd credibility is very high, I'm going to go Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick, let me grab the bell. Hey! Yeah. Well done, and we're in. Okay, so we're rolling. Neil Patrick Harris, we're all with one for one. Who is older, Neil Patrick Harris or James Vanderbeek? Oh, this is kind of a tricky one, because Neil Patrick Harris started so young... Um, and that would have been like 1989 or 90 when Doogie Howser came out. And he's probably, I'm going to, is it close? Is it real close? Do it's you have pretty it? close. Uh, I'm going to say four, four years, four or five years. I'm going to say, mm, I'm going to say Vanderbeek's a little older. Oh. That is Neil Patrick Harris born in 73. Okay. Dawson was born in 78. So okay. Five oh wow! Years difference. Okay. So there you right. go. Good job. So Neil Dawson aging really, gracefully. Dawson really was like a teenager then in Dawson's Creek at the, at least at the beginning. Not one of those deals where it's like a twenty five year old passing as a seventeen year old. Correct. Okay. That's, that's well said. Um, okay. Won the nineteen ninety nine MTV Choice Award for best breakout performance. That had to be Vanderbeek. That is Vanderbeek. Correct. Yeah. As Johnny Mox Moxon in Varsity Blues. <laughs> I Bonus don't point. want. Your life. Bonus point. Okay. What jer- I, didn't, I wrote the question, and I think I know the answer. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what jersey number did Mox wear? Oh, no clue. Four. I'm pretty okay. sure it was four. All right. Anyway. Uh, was in 
Scary Movie, the 2000 version of Scary Movie? Uh, let's see. The parody, 2000. I See, I feel like Neil Patrick Harris sort of dipped out okay. until How I Met Your Mother. You know what I mean? He wasn't like super in the in the the thing. So I'm gonna go Vanderbeek again because that was prime time Vanderbeek. That is Vanderbeek again. Yeah. Well done. Rob's in the zone. Only missed one. Was in the movie Gone Girl. Did you ever see Gone Girl? Gone Girl with uh, ben, Affleck? ben Affleck. I never saw it. Um, so I'm gonna take a guess, and I, that could have been either one of them. Let's go. That. F- I'm going to say Harris. I'm going to say Neil Patrick Neil Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Hey. I'm cruising along real good. I got two more. No, maybe just one more. How many have I done? I've done five, right? I don't know. If You're you... four for five. Killing it. Um, so we'll go. Last one. Competed in 28th season of Dancing with the Stars in 2019. Um, The 28th season of Dancing? 28th good season. Good night. Okay. Um, How is that even possible? Because they must do two a year. I guess. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It does seem like the like the Bachelor and all that stuff. There's like always it's the 85th season of the Bachelor. I'm the I'm the 59th Bachelor. (laughs) Um, I I think that's gonna be Neil Patrick Harris. That is Vanderbeek. Whose name actually translates from the creek? Vanderbeek translates Does from the creek really? and Dawson's Creek. That's pretty freaking cool. Wow. James from the creek. That is a real, that's that's a, a dynamite drop in dynamite there. Dynamite drop in there. From the creek. From the creek. Wow. Good job, though. Four for six? That's not too Man. bad. So he's James from the creek. He's James from the creek in Dawson's Creek. That's the that's the opposite of Jenny from the block. That's you know? <laughs> like Another Ben Affleck tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> ben Affleck tie-in. Uh, Wow, that's really interesting. That kind Fun of game. Hope you guys enjoyed playing uh, this version of Stump the Genius. Yeah, uh, let's go back to uh, Dulcinea for just a minute. I want to hit a couple of things. First of all, okay, so there was a um, like a compilation album that Toad the Wet Sprocket put out um, that I kind of was I missed. I did not wasn't aware of this, and I still haven't got to listen to it yet. But I'm going to like today on the way home. Um, it has. Uh, a collection of uh, rarities and unreleased stuff. It's called In Light Syrup. Um, do you say syrup or syrup? I say whew. in the hand moment. Me the past can- hand me the pancake syrup. What did I syrup? say? Yeah, I you said, said syrup. syrup. Yeah. Okay. I'm Southern. I should say syrup. Well, that's what I, I want to say syrup, and I think I do. I think sometimes I'll probably slip and say syrup. Hey, Rob, pass me the syrup. Yeah, see? That's what it should be, right? I People guess. out there listening, it should be syrup. It's S-Y-R. So, but down here in the south, it gets syrup. syrup you get yeah. syrup, and you get syrup, and you get scissorp, which is a little different. But it's, it's so sweet. I like my sweet tea so thick. If I run out of syrup, I can put it on my pancakes. Okay, syrup. Yes, okay, syrup. all right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to like say sentences that I would actually say. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So anyway, they have this album called In Light Syrup. Toad the Wet Sprocket In Light Syrup, and it's got like a can on the cover. Uh, and it's got rarities and unreleased stuff, and it's got two tracks each from Fear and Dulcinea that were not on those albums. Okay. Um, and so, oh, so they're not redos; they're just tracks that didn't make the cut. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so uh, it's got. Uh, Why all, did I say redos? I, I, <laughs> I knew what you meant, uh, but it's got all Amaze. in all and good intentions. Uh, and I think one uh, or maybe both of those were used in movies at the time. I, I know they had a song on the Empire Records. I think maybe Good Intentions was on Empire Records. Um, and then, um, so those are those are off of Fear and on and on the album In Light Syrup. And then uh, three, I'm sorry, three from Dulcinea: Hope, All Right, and Crazy Life, 
all also recorded um, during the Dulcinea sessions. The first two appear on the In Light Syrup compilation, and Crazy Life was remixed and added to Coil in 97. Okay. So, uh, so there's Dulcinea lived on into the next record. They had it remixed by, I think it was, um, I want to say it was Chris Lord Algae, maybe, from uh, for the Coil album. Anywho, um, I want to go back uh, and talk a little bit about uh, the other references to uh, Don Quixote in um, Dulcinea. Have you read ever read uh, Don Quixote? Uh-uh. Me neither. I'm not that smart. You know, I let other people tell me what it's about, and then well, cliff notes. Yeah, let's go to track five, which is called "Crowing." Um, I'll play you just a little bit of the chorus. That is a a, a reference to uh, a reference to Don Quixote. There's also some stuff that Glenn writes pretty openly about his struggles with depression um, and, um, and that kind of thing. So that all that stuff is sort of weaved in there. And then uh, there's a song called Windmills, um, which uh, which is pulled quite literally from uh, from the book, which sees uh, the main character attacking a windmill, um, you, like uselessly. You know, there's no point in attacking a windmill. Um, and it's, it's, that has become sort of a well-accepted metaphor for, you know, either fighting battles that, uh, that have no purpose or fighting battles that are, that are fought out of like a false, um, presupposition, you know, or an incorrect perception. So, um, you know, there's this, um, in here it says, I, I've spent too much time raiding windmills. Um, and I think there's a sort of a British interpretation of it too, that is, uh, tilting at windmills. I think, I think folks in the UK say tilting at windmills. But it's like if you're if you're doing something that's not going to get if you're if you're finding some battle that's not going to get you anywhere it's not going to serve you at all to do um, it's called raiding windmills fighting windmills tilting at windmills should also mention I can't believe we've gotten this far into the episode without mentioning the name Toad the Wet Sprocket okay. and where it came from you yeah. know this right Eric Idle yeah it came from Eric Idle of Monty Python uh, and it came from a Monty Python sketch called Rock Notes in which a journalist delivers a nonsensical music news report and. And the Eric Idle's idea was to use names that were so silly that there's no way they already existed and that nobody would ever try to use them. But long story short, uh, it ends up uh, a, a uh, I believe what Glenn Phillips, Phillips refer, referred to as a joke that lasted too long. Yeah. They named themselves Toad the Wet Sprocket, and it stuck, and it, and it never went away. Uh, let's take a listen to some of that Monty Python sketch. This is the, some of the Rock Notes sketch from Monty Python. Rex Stardust, lead electric triangle with Toad the Wet Sprocket, has had to have an elbow removed following their recent successful worldwide tour of Finland. Flamboyant, ambidextrous Rex apparently fell off the back of a motorcycle. Fell off the back of a motorcyclist, most likely, quipped <laughs> ace drummer Jumbo McClooney on hearing of the accident. Plans are already afoot for a major tour of Iceland. There we go. That's it. Yeah. That that one little line was the birth of Toad the Wet Sprocket. Awesome. Um, and uh, I think uh, there's an interview with Eric Idle where he says... Um, that he basically he he was floored. He he just heard on the radio one day, oh, that was Toad the Wet Sprocket, and he was like, "What in the world? Like, there's no way." 
great. Which, yeah. Uh, we should have tried to come up with some just absolutely absurd band names and just hope that somebody, you know what I mean? Somebody that's listening to the podcast now that just in a moment of panic, they're about to go on stage and like, dude, dude we don't have a name yet. And they're like, oh, we're called the, you know. Belly whatever. Button and Pocket Lamp. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. That's right. That sounds more like an album title to that's me, true. Belly Button and Pocket Lamp. Um, Royalties. Copyright. That's right. We yes, verbal copyright stamped. Um, you guys hang around. Y'all are going to enjoy this interview. We had a great time. I yeah, think it's, I think you're really going to like it. We did. We did. I I just want to say, go listen to Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> like listen to this. Listen to listen to these albums in their entirety. In a situation where you don't have to do anything else, where you're not distracted. You know what I mean. Put on some headphones and enjoy them. They're so good. Um, and they'll. It's just I love. Songs that you know, we already know. We, it's well established that I don't listen to lyrics. I don't pay attention <laughs> to lyrics until I'm f- sort of forced to by something, you know. Um, but yet, this is one of those albums where I know every single word. I might have no idea what the songs are talking about. <laughs> I'm totally oblivious to the meanings of the songs in many in many cases. But um, it doesn't bother me a bit. I love them, and I love the lyrics. <laughs> I love them all. I just don't know what they're about, you know. Um, and uh, there's there's something to be said for that. It's but it's it's just so comforting. I wonder what today's you know if if like my son, I have a 15 year old son. Um, I wonder what his comfort record is going to be because this is definitely one for me. It's a comfort record. I can just put it on and sort of wash off the you know everything that's going on or whatever. Just get lost in this record for 45 minutes or however long it is. Um, I wonder what my kid's comfort record is going to be. If I had to take a guess, and this is really funny because a lot of people hate this album, but I think my 15-year-old son, if I said, what's the one album you would put on if you just need to lock out the world for a little while? I think you'd say the Teal album by Weezer. Ah, well, all righty. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Because it's not even their songs. Yeah, it's It's, not them. uh, And that's cool because Weezer's our stuff, too. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Multi-generational Weezer now. Dude, I've got a weird one. Um, that I can, that my 1999-2000 year, my term paper album all the time was The Waiting Unfazed. Oh, I can yeah. put it on and it's just, I'm done. Yeah. I'm good. I knew you were going to say Speechless by Stephen Curtis Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that's knew where it. I was going to yeah. go. This uh, is kind of in the same, Solomon's Wish, uh, Grand Scheme. Boy, Wise yes. Man's a Wise Man's Tragedy by Solomon's Wish. Kind of got similar which you can't even, sounds. I don't think it's it not streams. On I looked it up yesterday. I was like, man, I kind of want to hear yeah. this. I only have it because we had the, we had the CD yeah. and I you know, imported it to my library. If you ever have a chance, if you dig like late 90s, early 2000s Christian music, uh, yeah, Solomon's Wish, A Wise Man's Tragedy. Great Fantastic album. album. Go find it at McKay's or something. And, Great and, cover of Stop Sun. Anyway. Yeah. Or whatever right. your sad alternative to McKay's is. Yeah. Listen, there's other places out there. I don't, you know, if you live in Nevada or Canada or wherever you are, uh, whatever your local like uh, CD resale places go. But I feel bad that you don't have McKay's. Because hey, here in Tennessee, McKay's amazing. has it on lock. It's amazing. So good. They need to be our sponsor. We talk about them all the time. They should. McKay's presents the Great Song Podcast. What? We'll just do it without getting paid That's for right. it. We'll just, we'll just tell them. We'll just give them. Yeah. Yeah, free promotion. <laughs> uh, also, too, huge shanks. Shanks. Huge, huge shanks. Thanks to Angie at Compass Records for hooking us up with Colin from last week and yeah. Glenn today. So yeah. Big props to her. Thanks Big a lot. Big time. Thanks so much. 
Uh, all right. I think that's going to cover it. Our bottom line today is go listen to Toad the Wet Sprocket. They're awesome. That's great. And you're going to love their stuff. And hopefully we've convinced you of the need. If if you have forgotten about them, if you haven't listened to them in a while, or if they're new to you, um, then uh, go listen to Toad the Wet Sprocket because they're awesome. This has been an artist spotlight. Uh, and now we're going to talk to Glenn Phillips, lead singer, songwriter uh, for Toad the Wet Sprocket. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other end. In the meantime... Don't forget to check us out on social media. Connect with us everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Great Song Pod. Join the Facebook group, Great Songs, and the great people who love them greatly. Or you can just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. We have a lot of fun in there, and we do special stuff in there sometimes. And, and it's just fun to get to talk to everybody who's listening to the show. So, um, And that's a great place to submit your ideas and all that kind of stuff, too. And as always, check us out at greatsongpodcast.com. You can get some merchandise. You can get yourself a T-shirt. You can be part of some of the other stuff that we're doing. If you want to go the extra mile and be a supporter of the show, be a co-producer of the show, uh, then you can go to patreon.com slash greatsongpod and sign yourself up there if you want to support the show. I think uh, we've landed on great pates. I think great pates, yeah. I think yeah. that's kind of stuck. You can, be, you can be one of the great pates uh, who help us make the show uh, and, and not have to uh, put ourselves in debt to do it. So we thank you guys so much. <laughs> Um, all of you who are supporting the show in any way and every way. Share the show if you love it. Tell somebody about it. That is by far the best way to help us grow the show is by you going, hey, this podcast is good. Um, So (laughs) if you don't mind doing that, we would certainly appreciate it. And uh, now let's take it to Glenn Phillips. We'll be back to tuck you in at the end. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, I can't believe I'm saying this, Glenn Phillips of Toad the Wet Sprocket joining us uh, via uh, a a now working Zoom connection, um, thanks to my iPad. So, uh, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today on the Great Song Podcast. Sure, happy to be here. Excellent. And you sound fantastic, too. I love it when, uh, when guests have a mic on their end that they're like working the audio. I just... I just love it. Makes it sound so good on the show. Been, oh, we've all been living online at this point, so uh, it makes a difference. Yeah, and it's the same rig I, I live through. I do it. You know, I can, I can give you crazy. Oh, echo bad. Reverbs. Wow. Harmony. <laughs> That's a first. That was great. That's, yeah. That was amazing. I'll hear it. My hear it. My toes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is outstanding. Um, okay. Oh, and pause here real quick. If you see us in the middle, throw up signals like three, seven, eight, ten. We're not doing like baseball signals or anything. We have a board of questions over here. So we will cue, oh. we'll cue each other questions like versus being like, Hey Rob, ask three <laughs> or let's go to four. It's we'll, not, it's not the, the countdown to a helix ad. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, great. that's a great idea though. We should yeah, maybe try that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just you know, all to which to which all podcasts aspire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, HelloFresh, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Um, so I've uh, I've heard you say that uh, you know the band name, the, the story behind the band name is pretty well known, uh, and and that it came from Monty Python sketch. Um, and I've heard you say that it was like sort of like a joke that probably went on too long. You know, um, if you were starting over. If you were starting either a, either a brand new band or you were starting over, uh, and, and you had to choose a name from another Monty Python sketch, um, what would it be? First thing that pops in mind. Oh God! The first thing that pops in. Uh, I don't know why Norwegian Bloom Norwegian. was the first thing <laughs> okay. that came to mind. Excellent. That's yeah. Sounds. It's much more. Um, Sort of a stately sounding, I think, maybe than Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yeah, but it's it's from the Dead Parrot sketch. Yeah, right. 
Yes, that's right. Great plumage. Norwegian plume. <laughs> great plumage. Great, great plumage. Why um, is it nailed to the yeah. <laughs> anyway? Uh, that's great. Perch. And then your greatest hits, your greatest hits album could be called uh, This Band Has Ceased to Be. Uh, from that same sketch, I think it's this it, is an X-band. <laughs> it is an X band. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, okay, so I, I just got to get this off my chest. Uh, the Dulcinea album is. I, I told you before we sort of officially started. One of my all-time desert island. You know, um, I, I've, it is uh, it, honestly in my collection of all the music I've ever listened to. I think it is the most the album that I have sung along to the most, more than any other. You know, it's it's heard my voice coming back at it more than any other, uh, you know, any other album that I own. Um, and we can hear you all the way from here. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, Thank you. But, no, we appreciate it. Uh, sometimes I add in some extra weird harmonies. Um, but um, all voices welcome. <laughs> so I, it, it's it's literally so perfect to me that I I kind of have a hard time coming up with questions because it's almost it's almost a thing of. It's so magical. I almost don't want to know some of this stuff. You know, um, it's is it is Dulcinea like an extra special album to you as well, or is that is that me only? Or is it just like, yeah, this is one of my children, and I, and I love them all the same, and they all have different things. No, I, I think Dulcinea is a particularly special one. Uh, I mean, I think between that, I mean, of course, the new one is currently my favorite. Sure, uh, always. That that's going to come out later this year because yeah. it's new, uh, but. Yeah, I'd say between that new that and new constellation are my two favorites. Okay, yeah. uh, and, and I mean new constellation actually just because we we did it, we actually managed to get it together and become a band again and do something that we felt was like rele- relevant heart and still sounded like us. But I think Dulcinea was um, just a things happening at the right time. Like we were a seasoned band. We, it was our third record. We'd done a lot of touring. We were in good shape as a band. We were on the same page. We knew the kind of album we wanted to make. We had, I think we were just old enough that the songwriting was better. Like I wasn't trying to get away with things in the same way. Such as what? Uh, Give me an example. Just Walk on the ocean, step on the stone, flesh becomes water, wood becomes bone. Meaningless gobbledygook. <laughs> Sounds poetic. So you think there's something under it, but there's not. Uh, so, so, you know, just, you know, the stuff on everything on Dulcinea meant something. Not always the deepest thing, but um, I just felt like I was more mature as a songwriter. I was, you know, 23 instead of like 20 and 21. And so I'd grown. So, uh, but it was more mature. We, like we were still young enough to have that fire in our belly, but we also were getting good at what we did and we knew how we wanted to sound. And we'd done this big record for fear. And when we went in to do that, we're like, we wanted it. We wanted to be able to pull off everything live. We didn't mm. want I mean, it was so exciting to go in the studio for the first time with Fear, and they had two twenty. It was back in the days where if you did a forty-eight track record, you were syncing up two twenty-four oh, tracks. Yeah, and uh, you know this big SSL board, and this you know it was our first time in a studio, and so we just went crazy. And I was really into you know Peter Gabriel and Tears for Fears and Talk Talk and big layered sounding records, and I wanted to make something huge. And when we went to Dulcinea, we're like, this needs to be that one guitar, you know, just 
needs to sound like it sounds live. It needs to have that presence and that fullness. Um, and I think we were a little sick of, uh, you know, calling us and so we wanted more <laughs> rock and rocked a little more live, you know, and less flutes and <laughs> more distortion. And, you know, I, there was a bit of competing in the nineties and, yeah, sure. uh, um, but yeah, I just, I feel like we were firing on all cylinders and we weren't working against each other and it got harder as time went by. I feel like we, uh, you know, that's why we only had one album in us there. It just became more fractured as time went by and we really had to get back from that. Mm. To kind of tie into the live performance versus I was watching the 92 Dennis Miller show and I was like, oh man, the guy that's actually sitting on the spinny thing is actually playing acoustic guitar. The first time, like, because you actually play live on, when you do it live, you play acoustic, uh, but in the video on All I Want, you're just sitting there for the most part. You're not playing. Did you, yeah, it's <laughs> there spinning. it is. There More it is. Arms. I just- Director saying more arms, more <laughs> arms. Did you get sick sitting on the little spinning thing in the verse? Uh, no. Okay, I did. Uh, but <laughs> it was. It's so funny. I mean, the other thing is, videos in those days they were everything, and I realized bands that we none of us understood or cared about marketing, and so for us, and we didn't care about visuals. We like grew up working well. REM doesn't care about how they look, man. They just show up the way they are. And that's just not true. Uh, band, bands are, are actually very conscientious about how they appear, even if they appear disheveled. And we actually just thought that we didn't have to worry about that. And videos were usually this thing. We'd be on the road. It's like, we're going to have a new single. Great. What are we just say? Okay, it's all I want. Great. Uh, do, oh, we need to make a video. And then they would send us treatments from, you know, a bunch of different directors. And in this case, it was Hans Nelman who also did the, the album art uh, for Fear. And we're like, oh, Hans, he was great to work with. We loved him from the, let's have him do the video. And so, and then, you know, you're touring and you get a day off and you show up and like, there's a costume, per- like back in the day, it was a big budgets. And they're like, put on this shirt, sit on spin wave your arms more (laughs) and then you go away and a week later it's like here's your video this is how everyone in the world is going to think of you for the rest of your life and and literally it's like one like we finally did it like i I, the the video that finally we had to do with um and then it didn't get played was the video for something's always wrong Mm. where Dean Dean was the one who said, like, wouldn't it be great if we were on a home shopping network? And I kind of ran with that and was like, oh, it should be us. And then it should be intangibles, like God and happiness. And, like, we should sell intangibles and us and, like, nobody will buy us and everything <laughs> else is selling. And we get cheaper and cheaper. And at the end, it says sold out. <laughs> and, you know, we thought that would be hilarious. And then... Uh, apparently it looked too much. It was too good at looking like home shopping network. And we, we spent so long, like that video, the Chiron through it, there's all these little, like, you know, love, just like mom, like that we, (laughs) so hard on writing the the graphic overlay stuff. And I forget the name of the director he was work with. It was the one video that felt like us just like, we had an we had the idea we ex 
and we gave it to VH1. And this was, uh, it looks like Home Shopping Network. <laughs> we'll channels. Can you make another video? <laughs> and we'd already made the video. Oh, so <laughs> basically nobody, we, we finally did a video we loved and then nobody played it. Nobody wants it. Since you mentioned videos, I, I do have a few, <laughs> a few video follow-up questions. You talked about, I think Dean's bass sounds great on Walking the Ocean, first of all, but tell me that was a cheap acoustic guitar that y'all destroyed and left floating. And do you remember what kind of guitar it was that you threw up in the air and that broke and that you just left destroyed in the water. Do you remember what kind of guitar? Oh, it was a pre-war Martin that my dad gave to me. <laughs> no. No, uh, it was, yeah, whatever the cheapest possible, I think already irreparably damaged. Okay. I don't know why. There's a whole like smash guitars thing in the 90s. It was yeah. fucked up. <laughs> like I'm, I'm friends with a uh, Doug Pinnock from King's yeah, Ash. We just had him yeah, on. We, him, he, yeah. we had him for our hundred and fiftieth episode. Uh he's great. So, he's great. But Doug, like he used to smash his bases, right? And so I forget what the company was, Warmoth or whatever. They would give him he just had a crate of smashy bases. <laughs> and they would send him, you know, every show he'd smash the bass. So they 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 sent him all these bases for him to smash because it was rock and roll. And then he says one day he was like playing, he sees this kid in a front who's doing that thing. You know, you can tell who plays guitar because they're <laughs> looking at your left hand the whole yeah. time. And this kid's just like watching his left hand and like getting every, you know, you can just tell he's like, oh, this kid's a player. And he just looks at the bass and he's like, why do I want to smell? Like, and he gave it to the kid and he oh. started giving the bases away. Man. And they stopped. They stopped giving him free bases. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> Man, okay to smash, not, not to give not away. Not to give away. That's, that's awesome. Fantastic. Yes. Okay, last. That's it. not rock and roll. <laughs> no, yeah. Kindness. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Boom. Gosh. Okay. So I, I told you about how I feel about Delson A. I, I let let my heart, uh, you know, uh, proudly on my sleeve on that one. Um, what I want to know is. What is an album to you that feels just absolutely spotless from beginning to end? Your that you just listen to it and like, like for me, I, I literally I have like a physical response when I hit play and Fly from Heaven starts. There's there's mm. a there's a, a physical response to me that I just know for the next hour I'm going to be so happy and you know and go yeah. through this journey. What's an album like that for you? I mean, The Weatherman by uh, uh, Gregory Allen Isakoff is like that. Uh, let's see. Wrecking Ball by Emmylou Harris. Um, Sonny Came Home, uh, Sean Colvin. Uh, probably, is it So by Peter Gabriel? I would say So okay. by Peter Gabriel. Uh, Color of Spring by Talk Talk. Um, or Spirit of Eden. Or laughing stuff. <laughs> Mostly the, the talk talk. Yeah. They might talk uh, but, you know, uh, it's a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> there's a number. I love uh, Mighty Wave by uh, Alt-J. I just think it's brilliant, top to bottom. Um, so, yeah, there's a... Yeah, that's a good list. Damn, there's a whole lot of good record. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would go, you know, everyone... Uh, I want to see The Bright Lights Tonight. Richard and Linda Thompson. Short, good, like, 30-minute, just awesome like live warts and all kind of record it's a great song, great album are um, you um you sound like maybe kind of like us we're album guys and we sort of lament the um 
you know, the cheapening of the album concept or like the, you know, we're, we're living in the age of singles again. You know what I mean? It's gone all the way back to where like singles are the thing again. Um, and we, I hate, man, there's artists right now that are putting out, you know, singles here and there. And I just can't bring myself to listen to them until the album is out. I'm like, I know you guys are putting mm-hmm. out new music and I know I'm going to love it, but I can't, I want, I want it all together. Or where do you fall in that? Is it like a necessary evil now that the, you know, let's put out the singles or is it, how do you feel about all that? I mean, the, the album, I mean, I think it's important to remember that the album is a, a type of musical dosage that was, uh, created by technology, mm, right? True. You had, you had the long playing record, uh, and the long playing record enabled you to put, you know, so many songs, approximately 45 minutes worth of songs onto a disc and, Ta-da. So, I mean, it was the technology created the concept of the album. And I mean, before that, there's through composed music, there's operas, there's symphonies, there's, um, you know, a suite of songs that would be written together, um, musical theater, whatever else. But it's like that, that um, you know, and, and we just grew up kind of taking it for granted, right? Yeah. You know, I grew up reading novels. There was a period when novels were thought of as this incredibly indulgent uh, type of literature. Uh, you know, these long fictional stories. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and so, um, yeah, the, I, I have a, a love for the album and for album making. I, I, I kind of lament more that my intention, my attention is just so... Um, generally scattered um you know i listen to podcasts all the time uh and i don't listen to as much music because of people like you <laughs> yeah, sorry about that <laughs> sorry, sorry we're doing that it's all right I, I forgive you but no but i listen to i listen to less albums and less music i listen to more single serving stuff um it's really hard for me to gather the time and the attention because and part of it is that having, uh, you know, being a music musician right now, and I mean, even the last year, basically, I'm a live caster now. This is yeah. what I do. Right. And so um, my attention, my job is never done and my attention is always fractured. And so the act uh, of sitting and listening to an album, it's like, well, when can I do it? Am I taking time? You know, when my girlfriend comes home from, you know, she's a teacher and I want to be present. And so I'm not, you know, it's just, it's interesting. And, and then the music that serves best for passively cooking dinner wins out. Right. right and it yeah. tends to be music that's not as challenging or not as, you know, um, not as edgy or not as challenging, uh, you know? And, and so, yeah, it just, you know, it's functional. I listen, I do a lot of yoga. I probably listen to more music in yoga classes than any other places. So I end up hearing a lot of Trevor Hall and, <laughs> you know, he's great, but you know, it's also like, um, I, I know that not all new music is Kirtan or, you know, and so it, it, it's a hard, um, Era for the album. Sorry, I'm t- I'm talking. A no, lot. that's great. That's we're we're here to hear you. They hear yeah, us all the time. Are good. <laughs> the, I, I'll tell you, an album from start to finish that I can listen to. That's one of your solo projects is Abulum. I think it's fantastic. With uh, Cra- oh, thank you. I love Craig Northy, the co-written song, "The Back on My Feet." I think that's great. Ethan Johns on guitar, I think, is a smart move. Um, I am a big I'm a big Raylan Montaigne guy, and I know he did stuff with Paolo Nutini. He's one of my wife's favorites, and produced for Counting Crows and Kings of Leon. So 
legend there. Jennifer Condos on bass, like that's a. Did you hand that? My point of this: Did you hand select this band, or were they like put with you? I'm trying to remember if I'd known. For those of y'all that don't know Jennifer Condos, she Jennifer. plays bass on Ghost of Tom Joad with Bruce Springsteen and toured with Stevie Nicks and Jackson Brown. Like she's legit. Um, well, and she and her husband Jay Bellarose were also uh, Rila Montaigne's yep, uh, supporting section for yep. a long time. Yep, Abulum, um I mean, that was at a time where the band had broken up, mm-hmm. and uh, I couldn't get a record deal. Um, we basically got Sony held on to me. Donny Einer wanted to uh, teach me a, a lesson for breaking up the band, so they <laughs> held on to me for eighty nine out of ninety days. Said they. Picked me up on day 89, and then I told all the other record companies that I was taken, and then they dropped me two or three weeks later with no pay or play, not having heard a single song, and then I was embittered and pissed off, and then I really had trouble getting a (laughs) record deal. So, um, and it was this period, too, where, I, I mean, I was driving down, I was playing almost once a week, either my own show or listening to other shows at, at Largo in Los Angeles and Largo's this club. Um, you know, it was this period, the, 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 was it Flanny who described it as the period? Oh, it was Ben Folds described it as the period that the major labels, like they, they, they like sprayed for talent and just sacked, you know, it was like, it was this period I would go to, um, Largo, either watching other people play or playing myself. And it was like Amy Mann before Magnolia when she couldn't get a record deal. It was Grantley Phillips. It was John Bryan. It was like this amazing collection of just incredible talent and heart uh, that, that Flanny uh, curated there. Um, yeah, that, the album came out in it, 2001, but I didn't really, mm-hmm. it wasn't really on my radar then but when i knew we were having you on i went back and i've and i've i've binged it like hardcore and i think that that is an album oh, that maybe a lot of people have missed like that just because of the air i guess of when you're saying you were putting it out and what was going on but that it wasn't uh, every every record i've ever put out has been kind of as a solo artist has been a, a a business disaster uh you know that one was put out i think it cost me 22,000 in legal bills to get on and off a label goodness that gracious. never even paid the licensing fee and then i made six thousand dollars in uh i think i did make six thousand dollars in uh uh like distribution fees off that record um so and for so between the cost of making it and i'm still i you know never (laughs) broken even on a solo record and so uh but i met ethan there and uh, anyway, I forget if it was just after he'd done the Ray LaMontagne record or just before. And um, Ethan heard the songs and loved them. And we went in with him and this guy, Richard Cawson, who's also an amazing keyboard player from England. Um, so I kind of forget that if I'd met Jen through Ethan or through Largo as a whole, um, She's just an amazing player, amazing soul, so easy to work with and is so, um, how can I say, one of those people, like for me, like a great bass player is a bass player. Um, and once again, working uh, with, uh, I can't remember his name, Paul, uh, who produced my last solo record, who's uh, 
uh, plays bass with, you know, Michelle and Degicello, among other people. <laughs> uh, but he, and being her bass player is a scary job. Yeah. yeah. She can do it better than you. Yeah. But he says he's a jazz bass player. And it's like, you train to do stuff that a bass player should never do. And like, uh, everyone, you, there's this 1% of the time, less than one. It's like 0.1% of the time, if you're in the proper jazz thing, somebody will nod at you and you'll go. (laughs) And then the rest of the time, you're just open and all you're doing is creating space and the occasional like melodic echo. And your job is to just make everything else sound bigger and kind of create you know, this pointillist room in which everything exists. And and he just says, that's the thing. You, you, you train and train and train for something that if you have any taste, you never do. <laughs> and I, I feel that's like. Great. That's great. But almost never do. And, and Jen is just also, she's so open and so melodic. And she's just got the, the best like slinky feel. She's all about like, like not doing that crazy lick, but just like this big poofy tone. And knowing just exactly when to slip out of the note and the <laughs> and, and her just she's so good. And Jay, her husband, is uh if you follow his drumming at all, is also like just the most wonderful, like non-standard kind of shoes in a dryer drummer <laughs> since I, like I would say I mean, since Jim Keltner, I think he is the best non-standard drummer. Uh in in like my favorite records so anyway that's yay. outstanding i love the way anyway it was a fun record you're a much smarter guy than we are uh, you, <laughs> and you've probably picked up on that yeah. by now um, <laughs> we're like we have a belly button and it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just loving your belly like, buttons are awesome oh, that's <laughs> right, true empirically uh but i'm just loving your your perspective and your thoughtfulness into into some of the yep, stuff i just like and I, like i knew you were smarter than us uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you're writing about, you know, I mean, Don Quixote and all these, you know, things like I get it. You're, you know, but, uh, but I'm enjoying the conversation is my point. Um, <laughs> what's, what's something about, uh, being a, a rock musician in the nineties and I'm going to, we'll bring this up in the modern day in a second, but what's something about being a rock musician in the period of the nineties that you would never trade? My youth. <laughs> Fair enough. Mostly that. Yeah, I liked, I mean, being in, there's some things I would trade. I mean, being a rock musician on a major label in the 90s, I have to say was amazing. Um, because it was a time when people still bought music. They paid for it. Uh, and know your Spotify subscription is not the same as it's actually not the making same. a, it's not the same. Uh, so because people bought albums and listened to albums, there was a, um, there was just an incredible amount of support and uh, the labels had an amount of money where they could do, um, artist development and allow an artist to, you know, we were at a time when Columbia and Donnie Einer at the beginning was trying to prove that Columbia records could do artist development. So they put out our first two records as is. They allowed us to tour up as a college band. We got independent. And the other thing was we didn't, we did with Coil was we took a big advance. Our advances from the label were strictly cost of recording. 
We never took any other money from them. Mm-hmm. We did a little bit of tour support uh, at the very beginning, um, but we we got off that pretty quick. We got, you know, we toured in a van, you know, um, until we could afford not to. And so that thing of being on the major label in the 90s and being cheap, and at that time, like with Columbia Records, every town we showed up to on tour, we would do at least one in-store. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go to record stores. We would probably visit and just do a meet and greet at another record store if we couldn't do an in-store performance there. We would go to at least one radio station. We probably there would be a college rep, a radio rep, and a retail rep. And every town they worked us ragged, and at the same time they were great people. They were music fans. Um, and so as much as, you know, the record company, they're like, big evil monoliths, they don't, at that time, it worked for us. They let us do whatever we wanted musically. Um, and we had support and the support system on a day-to-day thing for us. It was just these amazing local reps, regional reps. And um, it was an incredibly effective organization filled with people who really loved music. And... um you know, I miss that. That was it to, to feel so supported uh, was was an amazing thing, and you know, felt like it was. You know, as time went on, uh, it was it was harder once alternative music started taking off because it was right at this time when radio was switching and everything was changing and. You know, there were a lot of bands that went off and sold five million, and we were we were stuck at platinum. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, they wanted us to do. That's why I don't own a house. Uh, so, uh, but you know, you know, and you don't, and even being cheap on the label, we didn't see our first. Uh, we didn't see uh, a check, even though we were trying to be the cheapest band on the label. Uh, we. You know, we didn't get a residual until we had sold a million and a half records. That's when we saw our first first dollar from the company. Wow. Um, Those stories all But it also means, but it's also, we were making money on the road, right? And they put a lot of money into us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's just the actual economics. You know, you can make a good living without the record set. You know, the record is a, can be a loss leader. And, um... So, and radio was so active then, you know, we were okay. We were fine. Um, you know, so yeah, the things I miss, I miss my income from my early twenties, sure. like from age, I'd say 23 to 26, I had a great income <laughs> and uh, did not save enough because I thought it was going to keep coming. Although it got me through the breakup of the band, uh, until I really started touring solo in earnest, uh, in, in the early two thousands, like it, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't earn, uh, I couldn't get a record deal. I, you know, I didn't know how to make, I didn't know how to make a living. I had no other skills. So, uh, the late nineties were really, really harrowing and scary for me. Um, well, I feel like I should confess now in 91, 91, 92, I recorded off the radio all I want on a cassette so I'm sorry, Glenn, for for that. But I feel better bastard. now. I've got it off my chest. Clean conscience. It's been haunting me for years, but we're right. good. Now. now he's got the CD upstairs. Now I've got I've the seen CD. It, but, upstairs, oh. so. Yeah, I've I you know trust me, we've all pirated something in our life. Uh, yeah. Um, so let me bring okay. that. Let me bring that last question to the modern age. What's something, or is yeah. is there something right now about being a rock musician that you wouldn't trade? 
my aged wisdom. <laughs> just as, just as I wouldn't trade my youth, I would I would gladly have my youth. I would also not trade my perspective. Um, it, I. I like it, this is it's a strange thing I still fight with is um and I think everybody fights with right fear of fear of the future regret or comparison with the past or regret or comparison with other people right and uh in the music business nothing is ever enough right even if you're you too if you're not bigger than you were last year it's heading in the wrong direction mm. and uh and that constant pressure for more, 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 nothing is ever enough. Uh, and that constant comparison. Um, when I get where I am now, like when I'm happiest, it's, it's when I'm like, my job is just to make music I care about. I make music that moves me. Um, try to save enough that when my voice gives out, I'll be able to afford not to tour and be able to, you know, it, like it affords me. Um, you know, the ability to travel, I meet wonderful people, I get access to situations that are way beyond my pay grade, if that makes sense, you know. Um, kind of like so, us getting to hang out with you. Yeah, that's, that's how we feel. <laughs> I, well, I guess, but it's, it's yeah, it's that thing of like, you know, I'll be, you know, it's like, holy crap, I'm, you know, on this mountain. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I get to see amazing stuff. And, uh, and so that part is really wonderful. And I get to do the thing I love most is my job. And, uh, whenever, you know, Toad's putting out another album and I know when, whenever we get into the business mode of it, some part of me goes into panic because it's like, well, it's not enough. We're not big enough. I want my, I want to be more like Jason Isbell. I want everybody to love me and write about me. And I want my concerts full. And I want to be able to afford a band as a solo artist and have Toad. And I want to, you know, it's like, it's hard to do the business part of it and not start comparing and not start taking on metrics of success that are um, external, right? Because uh, someone's always doing better and someone's always got the break you wish you had. And, you know, even when your friends get the break, I, you know, I can tell my own mental health by how much I go like, yeah, milk carton kids crushing it. <laughs> And then when, you know, somebody else gets, gets a great break, it's like the jealousy or the like, why can't I get that? Why didn't I? Get yeah. And so, um, so mostly what I like is I get to make music and mostly I'm outside of the business now. So I just get to do stuff I love. And if I look at the business side, like I, you know, I made what I felt was by far my best solo record with my last record. And, you know, if you look at it by any commercial metric, it, it doesn't even exist. Mm. Um, and I think it's the best piece of work and the most important piece of work I've ever done. I actually think it's a, a more important work uh, than, the la than the upcoming Toad record, just in terms of it talks about loss, it talks about grief, it talks about instead of doing a breakup and divorce record that was... Um, a lot of people do the breakup divorce record and it's like, how could you break my heart? You're person, you know, it's like, it's this, like, it's really tortured and emotional and relational. And this is more about like, how do you deal with losing the things you love the most, mm -hmm. you know, your home, your family, your, your history. And, uh, so I took some pretty deep dives into, you know, I was ending up reading, a lot of Buddhist books, a lot of um, books on death, a lot of books on grief, 
just generalized grief as opposed to books on, you know, you know, the, the newly divorced man's kit to Ikea and swiping, you know, it's like, (laughs) we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. And so, uh, anyway, uh, and, and if I, and, and so there's a part where once you're not the young kid with the access and having the success that leads to the success that leads to the success, right. Where you're still, you know, even if you do some work, that's not top notch, you know, there's your favorite bands and you know, like they still get the, they still get a four star for their worst record because you're, and you know, and if you fall back on that, you get graded on a harder curve and it's just hard to come back. And, you know, uh, and so it's weird to go like, well, as a writer, you know, I'm not done. And probably my next big commercial bump, if I get it, will be will benefit my children once I die. Right. <laughs> but um but as it is, I make enough to live on. It's just having to go like, oh, that's my career now. Uh and I can in my better moments go like there's a lot of freedom in that. That's a real gift. Uh or I can get caught up in like, oh, I wish I was relevant. <laughs> and or you know, and, and it's a hard thing to deal with. Uh, you know, and, and uh you know, and, and it's not a problem many people are very sympathetic to. It's like, F- you, dude, you were a rock star. Right. Nobody <laughs> wants that. And uh, so I get that too. But it's interesting, like, having kind of been in that position and not felt like I was, I felt like I was a little too shy and vulnerable to do a good job of that. Once again, I feel like our audience was there because we were shy and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And before nerds ran the world, I think Toad was like people could see themselves. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people who in the age when everything else was like kind of really edgy, really cool. Like it's like those dudes look like me. Mm-hmm. They, they, they look like they would be completing their sociology degree or doing what, I, you know, if they weren't doing this, yeah. um, they'd be on this other, you know, it's not, we didn't have the rock star thing. And, and so um, it's just interesting now, kind of trying to go like, huh, that's interesting. I did this thing that was special to people in my youth and, uh, I have no interest in circling around the nostalgia drain. Well, and so what do you do now? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll thank you for being so honest and vulnerable yeah, and open. Like, like that's, that's, great. that's great. Um, and I think I'll, I'll tie into your latest, I think go is brilliant on swallowed by the new. I think the. I think the video is wonderful. My, this is my parents have seen numerous lighthouses, so that's kind of the video kind of ties <laughs> that, that. My parents have seen so many lighthouses. Mom and Dad, shout out to you and your lighthouses. And even though the song's heavy with you know I love you now go and my ho- my home life was great, you know the uh, I think it hits it can hit all specters the way you phrase everything in the song. The musicality of it's great. So I agree. I think a lot of your newer stuff is is money. So keep keep doing what Thank you're doing. You. So. Yeah. And that whole song was, it's like, I wish I could find the original podcast. It was this podcast I was listening to and they were talking about, um, lighthouses. This, this concept of lighthouses is like light, lighthouse style love is that, you know, mostly you say, I love you, come closer, let me take care of you. And lighthouses have this particular message, which is, oh, I love you. I care about you. And you should be way over there mm-hmm. for for everyone's sake wow. <laughs> right man and so it's crazy right? um, Jeez. yeah yeah so on that note so that's why the lighthouse is <laughs> wow, so uh, we've we've 
talked about that you're just a you're just a brilliant guy and and your perspective has been so great which is why this line to me is all the more funny um in in old habits die hard uh which was the the toad single in like right before the election in 2020 mm-hmm. um the the line that says every loss of privilege is a swift kick in the nards <laughs> is one of the funniest things i've heard in a very long time and true and true, but to hear, true. but to hear Glenn Phillips say Nards just really <laughs> made me laugh out loud. I didn't see it coming. I, you know, I didn't see the rhyme coming. Uh, I just it it really got me. Um, what was the decision behind? Like what? I, I just want to know when you're when you're about to write that line. You went. <laughs> I'm gonna write it kicking the Nards. Uh, I mean, partially <laughs> that the that song. Musically and lyrically owes a lot to Randy Newman. I can um, hear that, yeah. And uh, he has a way of talking about hard things in a really funny way, mm, right? Good, of yeah. of being, um, you know, just disarmingly humorous and self-effacing. And, and you know, he, he's really good at that. And so writing in that modality, part of it is, you know, it's, it's a series of heavy subjects, right? Like how do we deal with privilege? How do we deal with race? And, you know, there is the element I wanted to get in is, you know, this entire thing, you know, loss of privilege feels like oppression to people. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's the difference between priv- privilege is a thing that happens. Entitlement is the assumption that you are owed your privilege, right? Sure. And uh, they're not the same thing, but they're adjacent. And, um, you know, most of us are blind to, you know, you know, I, I say this as, you know, a, a white guy in America. Like, you know, there's just a lot that's easy about my life that I take for granted. And, you know, I tend to, you know, there's another, the the phrase is we see the world as we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're surrounded by generally happy, loving people, you tend to assume that most people are going to be happy and loving. If you're surrounded by snarky assholes, you (laughs) tend to assume that people are going to be snarky assholes. And, um, and once again, we normalize our experience. And so uh, it's, it's that understanding, you know, and even seeing, you know, my kid's generation, I think our generation, um, got to see, uh, the, the American contract kind of end, right? I remember seeing my father, he was a PhD physicist and, um, he was supposed to be kind of unfireable. Right. And I remember him, getting fired uh, two months before his, you know, pensions were going to mature and getting rehired by the same company as a consultant. Wow. Goodness gracious. And, and that's normal now, right? That, that idea that it's like the, the social contract is just over. And my kids have had to have this reckoning that they know they're going to be worse off than we were. That's just how it's going to happen. And, uh, they've all kind of made this investment in their future to do what they care about and do what they love and understand, you know, my, like my youngest wants to work with disabled kids and be a kindergarten teacher. My middle one is a, is a cook, a chef, um, but also very much interested in the environment. 
Uh, my oldest uh, right now is teaching dance in a juvenile justice facility. Like she's, you know, working with incarcerated kids. There's no money in, in any of that yeah. for them, but they're going to do what they love and they don't have an, this, ex, you know, it's like, it's just weird. I feel, you know, once again, our generation felt uh, like, oh, the, yeah, the, it's over. Like that idea, you work hard, you go to school, it's fair play, and then you'll be okay, you'll be able to afford a house, and someday you'll retire. It's like, no way, not anymore. So um, it's a swift kick in the nards. That's all. <laughs> it really uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got one last one that we'll ask you, we'll let you enjoy your day. We know we uh, need to be done in the next like two to three minutes, so we'll we'll cut out of here real quick. Um, you're on tour, either by yourself, solo, or with Toad the Wet Sprocket. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of yours, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three Musketeers bar. When I was growing up, my mom said you'd have any candy bar you want, and that's the most ounces, and they're all about the same price. So You're going to say of... something super healthy, aren't you? You're going to be like almonds. <laughs> I'm going to say it depends on how – I was going to say pistachios. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> but it depends, it depends on how healthy I'm being. Uh, when I'm healthy, pistachios uh, – Every five years, I'll buy a pack of Funyuns just to remember okay. what they taste every like. Every five, five years, years. This man just said to it's, my face, every five years, I'm eating Funyuns. 2026 okay. it's the is way just they, around the corner. It's the way days dissolve on your, on your tongue. Oh, yeah. They kind of uh, hurt a little bit. It's awesome. By the end of the bag, you are, you are hosed. Those were good answers. That, yeah, that's a fossil yeah. that gets we'll you take, a check mark. Listen, I will say, pistachios underrated as nuts go. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're kind of, they're mm-hmm. kind of heroic. I, I'll, I'll put them in the top tier. Yeah, um, you know, occasionally the unwise burrito. But, okay, uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and pretzels for a long time, roll gold. Okay, okay sure. There you can't, go. Can't complain about pretzels for sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, Glenn, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a real Thank treat, you. and 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 an unexpected uh, uh, level of like uh, you know discourse. It's been it's been depth. Yeah, There's a lot of depth. Yeah, like Glenn has thoughts on things, and I was glad <laughs> to hear him. So. Uh, I, I have lots of words in my mouth. So. <laughs> well, we love Thank it. you for sharing them with us. Probably piss some people off, but that's okay. Everything we'll does these days. That's right. Yeah, uh, I just, I miss, I mean, if I'm going to leave on anything, and that's, you know, for all my, if I if I didn't, you know, get a lot of people to angrily hang up by this point. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's weird. It's like, I, I felt, I mean, one of the things about Toad kind of coming out in the time we did and having the songs, you know, I, a lot of people thought we were a Christian band when we came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we were first out there because of Fly From Heaven and just like I use, you know, some biblical imagery. And so um, a lot of people have kind of assumed over the years that we're much more conservative than we are or that I kind of come from an evangelical background or whatever. And so I've ended up like... I've always been able to have like great and respectful conversations with uh, people who are far more conservative than I am. And that, that to me is like the saddest loss in the last few years of having to kind of try to find to so delicately move into common ground again and find like for myself, where am I being reactive? Where am I being overly judgmental? Like how do we hold on to what we care about and understand at the end of the day I mean, there are hateful people out there and, and, uh, and hateful people I feel have been emboldened recently, but I think most people, they want to protect their family. They want to protect the people they love. They want something that feels like fair play in the world. And I think that's just pretty much everybody. I think most people, you know, and if you can, and the art of trying not to have everybody start yelling 
before you can have that common ground. And, yeah. the, and once again, the internet is the worst for it. Because sure. I have had people even write, like doing a benefit for something that people don't like, and they will write down like, I am so sick of this woke cancel culture. I am never listening to you again. <laughs> Ironic? Perhaps, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and it, but trying to find like, we got to get common ground again. And I'm having to challenge my knee jerk reactions and, and having to go like, okay, how do I hold on to what I care about? Uh, but, you know, leave my heart open to believe that people who are doing things I don't necessarily always understand are actually almost certainly believing that they are doing the same thing. And like, how can I also help to show them that I am driven by love? I'm driven by care for people around me and a sense of fairness. And, and like, uh, you know, once again, we're so ready to yell at each other and shut each other out and, you know, cancel culture on the left and on the right as well. And like, man, that, that to me is like right now, the job is, is figuring out how to talk to each other again. Well, as so, two as two be, as two believers, you communicated very well with us. I <laughs> yeah. think you did fantastic, and I think you hit on something. I heard this a while ago that there's things that people are afraid of losing. It's their finance, their freedom, and their family. Like those are the three things. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think we have to find a way to be able to talk about it. So yeah. I think it's good. Absolutely. A healthy perspective, man. Yeah, really. Yeah. really well, and this. once again, what makes democracy work is more voices in the room. Mm. You know, and and that way. We reach solutions that aren't extreme. We find solutions in the middle that work for more people. And that's like, that's, that's, those conversations are, are where the solutions are. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you got some friends with us in Nashville. Absolutely. Look us up well, when you come thank over. You. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll hang out. All right. We'll, we'll eat some, some fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I, went I went healthy. Fun 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 I, went, I went celebration. <laughs> thanks, oh, yeah. Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn. Thanks so much. I'm there. We'll make it happen. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks a lot. Talk thank to you, you man. Cheers. Have a great one. All right. Bye. This is the Great Song Podcast. All right, kids. Guys, that just happened. That was Glenn Phillips. That was awesome. I got to ask an important question. Is Glenn a little sad? Uh, Should we check on him? Let's Uh, check on Glenn. Everybody, if you're in California, just check on Glenn every now and then. Make sure he's fine. Take him a pie. Absolutely. Take him. I wonder what Glenn's comfort record is. Take him a vinyl copy. Take him Wise Man's Tragedy by (laughs) By Solomon's Solomon's Wish. Drop it off on his front door. Yes, for which vinyl copies do not even exist, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so love talking to Glenn, love that we get to do this. Thank you guys for listening. You guys are the reason that we are able to continue doing this. We started it without you, but we sure want to keep you along for the ride because you are the guys who are helping us, uh, uh, be able to continue in this endeavor. You're our adrenaline shot that keeps us going. Whenever we hear a compliment or a comment of any kind, or that's the fuel that gives us another, let's go another few miles. Yeah, absolutely. Fill up the tank. Right. Uh, so we'll be back next week with another great song as season eight rolls on of the great song podcast. Uh, until then I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.